So, Berto, I have a, an email from a listener that I want to read for you. Will you indulge me? Indulged. Uh, the email goes, I saw a doctor specializing in CBT, or cognitive behavioral therapy, for anxiety. I fell instantly in lust with him. After the therapy ended, I was crushed. I felt yeah. abandoned. I felt I was in love with him. Whoa. I thought about him a lot. Ten years later, I contacted him. By the way, he teaches ethics to other clinicians, and he's 20 years older than me. So I contacted him 10 years later. I expressed my attraction, and I think his ego was flattered. And I seduced him over the phone. We had some intense texting. So we met up, and we kissed. We met up a number of times, and we just did kissing. But then we decided to just be friends. And I'm worried that I've left him racked with guilt. I have to reassure him all the time that I'm fine whenever we chat. But I honestly feel our romantic relationship helped me. After we kissed, all of my intense feelings for him disappeared, and I saw him as a normal person rather than a god. Hmm. So I don't think that relationships with former clients should be frowned upon. I know a power dynamic is involved, but surely the point of therapy is to allow clients to have true autonomy, and part of that autonomy would be to choose who they want to date. No doubt others have been hurt by predatory types. I think people should be warned in advance of the intense emotions, she has intense in all caps, of the intense emotions one may feel for their therapist and vice versa. I wasn't prepared for it and was confused by my feelings. By the way, we were both in committed relationships during this time oh, man. and didn't want to see anyone hurt. Strangely enough, I didn't see it as cheating. Berto, what do you think about all this stuff? Uh, it's a lot of chaos. Okay. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. We're going to talk about the history of psychotherapy and how many prominent uh, figures in psychotherapy in our field have had sexual contact with their clients. I'm going to present some of the research regarding therapists having sexual feelings toward their clients, and I'll provide my thoughts regarding the listener's situation. Welcome to the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm, yo I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a professor and a therapist. Did you say I'm yo host? I'm yo host. <laughs> and my name is Humberto Castaneda. I hunt for rabbits. This episode is just for patrons of the podcast. So if you're listening to this and you're not a patron yet, then this episode will end before the content begins. If you want to hear the full episode, you have to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. That's patreon.com. Patrons get access to all the premium episodes, and all the episodes also don't have any advertisements, which can be really nice. Uh, they can get the access on their phones or on the Patreon page, blah, blah, blah. And if we get another couple hundred patrons, we'll start donating to the to Pet Finder, which is an organization that helps save pets from being euthanized by taking care of them and connecting them with a loving home. All right. Welcome to the Patron Zone, people. Let's talk about this email. So let's talk about the history of site. Now, we've, we've had other episodes about this, but I think that this uh, emailer, it, it provides a spin to it in terms of She's basically saying she benefited from having romantic and yeah. sexual contact with her previous therapist. 
which we've only fielded emails from people so far in which people were being harmed by that relationship. That's true. And so I wanted to maybe, you know, go into that a little bit. But before we go into that specifically, which famous therapists have had sex with their clients, Berto? We've talked about this before. Sigmund Freud. Nope. Freud was actually pretty good was about... He by the book? He's pretty good. I mean, he wasn't by the book. With okay. I mean, he had pretty loose boundaries, like he would... Self-disclose a lot. And, and Carl Jung. Yeah. Jung. 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 Yeah. Jung. Jung. Jung had an affair with his patient, Sabina Spielrein, who later became one of the, one of the first female analysts. The movie A Dangerous, My, A Dangerous Method, A Dangerous Method by Cronenberg, starring Michael Fassbender and Kira Knightley. Also, Ferenzi had a sexual relationship. Ferenzi was one of Freud's star pupils, but he had a sexual relationship with one of his patients, and he later married her. He also had a sexual relationship with this woman's daughter. <laughs> oh, whoa. Yeah. Uh, and not to say that this was just men. A lot of the first female prominent analysts also had sex with their patients. Frida Fromm Reichman stopped her work with a client so she could marry him. Karen Horney, or Horny, spelled Horny. <laughs> horny, horny. She had a sexual relationship with a younger male client. So there's a lot of therapists having sex with their clients, particularly in the past. Yeah. Uh, it's they're, they're, it's happening less more recently because of ethics and education. Yeah. But and it's lawsuits. Still, but it's, <laughs> yeah, but it's still happening a lot. All right. Berto, what percentage of psychologists indicate that their training was adequate with respect to the subject of what we call erotic countertransference or the feelings a therapist has sexual-wise toward their client? 20%. 9%. Whoa. Clearly, we need more training regarding this. Yes. Um, that's why I frequently talk about it on the podcast because... It's probably such a taboo subject. It is. and I mean, sex is in general. And the and in order to you know really talk about erotic countertransference, to some extent, as a trainer, as an educator, you have to perhaps self-disclose a little bit. Yeah. Or even... You, you know, you just have to, or at least people will wonder, wait, have you ever been attracted? Right. And it's ridiculous. Of course, there have been at least some inkling of attraction, of <laughs> right? It's just like we're, we're animals. We don't turn off those things right. when we're, you know, in certain situations. And so, um, you know, having said that, as I always say, whenever this comes up, just I, I've always feel compelled to say this is I'm not actually particularly prone to this kind. I'm prone to other kinds of countertransference, but yeah. but not erotic countertransference. Well, but I think I think you know, um, you know how I think we were talking on another podcast, or maybe I imagined it, but uh, there is this obvious stigma about pedophilia, right? Yeah. So uh, one thing I was hearing was like how it's so hard to get. People to talk about their their mental process and what they're going through about pedophilia, or to disclose that they're having those feelings, because it's Im immediately like you're a monster. Yeah. And so, if a person wanted to get help and wanted to like not have those thoughts or whatever, they they actually they don't have a system for it because as soon as they say it, they're a monster. Yeah, we all know empirically that when you suppress or oppress a certain experience for people complexes and weird things were, will develop 
So when you provide no outlet for someone to learn or talk about erotic countertransference, it's more likely, more likely to lead to acting out. It's um, I'm imagining, like in the, for example, in the Catholic Church in the the priesthood, it was it was probably always very taboo to talk about sex, to talk about sexual feelings that you might be having, and so everyone's sort of like in their own private prison about it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. All right, Sex, sexual impropriety is the second most common malpractice claim after treatment failure. So it actually, uh, when it does happen, it, it often, you know, it can lead to malpractice claims. Berta, what percentage of male counselors report having fondled or having oral genital contact, as they said in the research, or intercourse with a client? So fondling, oral, or... Oh, my God. Or so, so basically, second, third, or home home base <laughs> with their client. What percentage of male counselors report having done that at least once in their lifetime? But no fifth base. Okay. Yeah, no fifth. Uh, I mean, I'm going to go five percent. Close three percent. Okay. What about female counselors? One percent. Zero percent. So it's like point three or something. Really? So yeah, that men are way more likely okay. to do this with their patients. Then women are not to say that women don't, but men are way more likely. So if I want to get lucky, I should go to a male therapist. That, exactly. Got it. Only about five percent of victims take formal action against the therapists, even though all of them should. Um, what percentage of clients suffer from PTSD after having sex with with their therapist? PTSD. Oh wow. Forty um, percent. Close. Uh, well, one study found 64% oh, suffered okay. from PTSD after. I'm a little skeptical of that number, but uh, clearly a lot of people suffer from PTSD yeah. after. And that, and that highlights the real negative effect. You know, it's not just like awkward. It can be actually, you know, clinical. Um, okay. So to comment a little bit on the listener's email here. She mentioned it was cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, and I, I, I wonder if she was pointing this out on purpose because CBT is one of the least relationally oriented therapies. It, in certain ways, CBT can be extremely skills-based. CBT can, al- it can almost seem like a class. Okay. Uh, and... But it depending on the on the situation. But I know CBT therapists that are more like teachers than they are therapists. Interesting. More like facilitators of skill building. You know what I mean? Okay. And so, therefore, having you know intimate contact with them afterwards would be more like having intimate contact with one of your former professors or something, as opposed to your therapist. You know. So that's one thing to think about. Okay. And 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 it was a decade. Yeah. Right. Right, it was 10 years. Yeah. So let's talk about that 10 years. Is that ethical? I mean, cuz you know, it's 10 years later. They're they she's obviously way beyond that therapy situation. Is it ethical to have is this person did this guy commit an ethical violation? Obviously, I, I well, I don't know what what the technical answer is, but from my perspective, if they were both adults when the sessions started, and if the sessions didn't last very long, I'm going to decide define not very long as like under a year, just for now, and it's been a decade, then I would 
from my ethics point of view, be like, yeah, that's probably okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, which isn't, you know, totally off base. But let's get more specifically here. And she didn't tell me what profession yeah. he was in. But we in the United States, we have four main professions. We have psychologists, counselors, marriage and family therapists, and social workers. And what professions are more, and I guess we have psychiatrists, which I don't have information on. But anyway, which, and of course, psychiatric nurses, which sometimes get upset at me for not mentioning them. There's a lot of different <laughs> professions that, but I have information on psychologists, counselors, MFTs, and social workers. Which of the four prof- professions are more lax than the others? Do you know what I mean? Uh, the, 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 what was the last one? Profession? Social workers. Social workers. So you think they're the they're the most lax about about it? Oh, hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. And who's the most strict about it? Um, so we got psychologists, counselors, and marriage and family therapists. Marriage and family therapists. Okay. Well, you're you got one right and one wrong. Okay. Uh, marriage and family therapists are the most strict about it, but social workers are too. Okay. So counselors are the least, or uh, psychologists are the oh, least. Psychologists, actually. really? Yeah. So uh, in terms of the ethical codes, huh, weird. Counselors have to wait five years after the last professional contact. Cool. Uh, psychologists have to only wait two years. Really? Marriage and family therapists and social workers, it's never. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so if you did, so uh, as a marriage and family therapist myself, worker. yeah, I can never, you know, right. even if it's fifty years later, it's ah. still it's still basically considered unethical. That's incredible. Yeah. I, now there's, but I, I do see why. Like you're, you know, <laughs> you're treating, uh, but but the the no. differences don't make a lot of sense if you're trying to look for like professional reasons as to why those ethics are different there really isn't a reason other than what i will say is uh marriage and family therapists and social workers in the field sometimes have to work harder to legitimize their profession in comparison to counselors and psychologists and so maybe they're harder on their people because they don't want to seem like a they want to seem like a more rigorous organization you I know see. what i mean and i so, just felt like a marriage and family therapist, to me, it's like you're getting up more up in their business of the romantic relationship and of all that stuff. And so I'm like, oh, you have too much insider baseball. <laughs> Which isn't true. But, I know, I know. But yeah, I mean, there's no rhyme or – because there's such variation within – I mean, for psychologists, counselors, MFT, social workers – it's hard to generalize about what they're doing from day to day, and and there's way more overlap than there's yeah. What if this. what if you had a client for twenty years as a psychologist, right? And then two they, years they started, later, yeah, they started when they were eighteen, yeah. And two years later, you're you're dating yeah. Mary. Now, <laughs> I think most of the ethical codes have a clause in there that says something like, even if you've waited the grace period, and it's going to harm the the person, you still can't do it, right. you know. But but uh, anyway. Berto, should clients be warned about falling in love or in lust with their therapists? Yes. How should they be warned? Maybe in the initial materials that they receive. But no one reads those very, very thoroughly anyway. Maybe there should be a little orientation video. Like, you know, a short little orientation video that you need to watch. So you want to have sex with your therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I, uh, I think... That 
because and I don't, I don't have this in my disclosure. I know some people do, but they won't have this. I've never seen this particular experience in disclosure. What I will see is they will say things like, "You might have intense feelings," mm-hmm. and but it's hard to imagine a reader would think that would refer to lust. It's probably more like sadness or grief or pain or something. <laughs> but but it is interesting that it probably should be in there and. What I would say to people is, and I've and I've you know run into this before too. But what I would say to people is, if you detect, if you think that there's a potential, because you you can with experience you could probably tell with certain clients that they might develop certain intense lust or love feelings for you based on their history. If right. they've had a lot of relational traumas, then. You just might want to, as soon as possible, just bring up the possibility by saying something like, so I'm not saying this is going to happen for you, but as a part of therapy, as our relationship intensifies, as I think will be therapeutic for you, you might have a myriad of feelings, you know, feelings of, of attachment, feelings of dependency, feelings of... Um, fondness between uh, and a bond, a real you know bond between you and I, which I think is going to be a really good thing, and I want to develop that. Along with that bond might come some confusing feelings, like feelings of of romantic feelings, which happens sometimes because when you find someone that you can really depend on for the first time in your life, a lot of different feelings might pour forth. Right. One of which might be romantic feelings. And if that ever happens, and I'm not saying it will, then, you know, we'll just talk about it. And it's not a big deal. It's it, it can be quite intense and, right. and, and, you know, it might not feel great, but I welcome you to bring that up with me and, and it's fine. And just to let you know that, you know, ethics bar that sort of relationship from happening. And so... Uh, you know, I will. I'll just be a compassionate listener to you if you right. want to tell me about that. Yeah, I feel like I would say something similar. You know, I'd be like, "Look, as we're as our relation develops, like sometimes the morning after we have sex, you might feel like we're developing something, but it's all part of the therapy." Yeah. And then my my disclosure form would have two check boxes. Checkbox A is like, "Be aware you might develop some strong feelings. Are you aware? Yes or no?" And then the other checkbox is like. But you can also opt out of treatment now and just have sex. (laughs) (laughs) You're disgusting. All right. The bottom line is the the client says that it helped her and she seems credible. So I'm going to take her word on that, that that even though in my book this was unethical for the therapist to do and Mm -hmm. he should feel racked with guilt. And if he cheated on his his wife or his partner, then – it's he he should whammy. be ashamed of himself in some ways. You know what I mean? He he didn't have to do that. You know, right. he could have easily headed that off at the pass. And so, uh, so yeah. Um, now I don't think he should kill himself, but it's not. a bad thing to cheat on your partner and to yeah. lie about it. Okay. What? So what if he had said to her? Because it sounds from what she's saying, she she was trying to actively like. Uh, what did she say? Seduce him, right? What if he had said something like, "Listen, a, uh, I don't, I don't feel comfortable actually going down this path because I did see you, even though briefly, blah blah." blah. B, I'm in a committed relationship right now, and it sounds like you are as well. So, I, 
I think that for now I'm, I'm okay talking. If you want to talk as friends and stuff like that, but, uh, but I am not comfortable going down this path. If there was ever going to be anything like that, we would both have to be single and we would really have to talk about the implications and blah, blah. Like, what if it was something like that? Right. And again, I truncated her email and yeah. in her, we actually went back and forth a couple of times and she actually said that he told her that he realized he had a fetish for this kind of secretive sexual oh. thing. <laughs> and so Oops. that wouldn't have worked. <laughs> that wouldn't have worked. Yeah. But anyway, the, the client says that it helped her. So okay. even though in my book it was unethical, uh, regardless, because even though like, you know, the American Psychological Association says two years, they, you know, they still say it could harm people. And I, hmm. I say, why take the risk? You know, in my anecdotal experience, it's you, almost always the case that clients are are harmed by this sort of contact. Yeah. Um, and although I do know of some stories of clients actually marrying their therapists mm-hmm. and it having going well, although it's hard to know if that's actually healthy or not. But but anyway, it's much more likely that something bad is going to happen, and so why take the risk? But she says that it helped her, and so he rolled the dice and. It, it worked, you know, yeah. and and it actually did help her. So we have to acknowledge that even though we're talking about the downside to kissing your former client, she is saying, look, this helped me. It actually, you know, improved my life. And so, so in that way, haphazardly, he made the right choice. Could there be, maybe this is unfair, but, but okay, extreme example. Hey, uh, Kirk, guess what? I, I just finished a relationship for three months with this gal. Um, she was abusive. I mean, she beat me. Actually, she beat me with a frying pan almost daily. But, you know, it helped me. Yeah. It helped me see that I don't want that kind of relationship. Well, yeah. So if you look at it a certain way, you could say like, well, you know, did it really help this person? But, I, again, I went back yeah, and yeah. forth for, for a while, and, and it – from what I could tell, it seemed to actually help her. I mean, she was saying it dispelled my my sort of like in love feeling that I had uh-huh. for him. I, it brought him down to human level, right? And so I, I saw, and so I could kind of release. I could kind of like have closure to the relationship for once. And you know, she right. obviously contacted him ten years later because she was probably thinking about him occasionally, right? And so this helped her to move on in life, you know? And so, uh, you know, in that way, we just have to acknowledge that, again, he accidentally made the right choice. And the other thing she brings up is client autonomy. You know, clients should be allowed to date whoever they want, right? As long as everyone's a consenting adult, why should we interfere with that? And so there is some wisdom around that. And that's why the counselors and the psychologists will say five and two years because they're saying, well, at some point you just have to let consenting adults make ch- their own choices yeah. in life. Yeah. Um, but again, the risk is so risky. And there are other ways that he could have helped her in this way other right. than risking his career and his marriage. You know, you could have a few sessions in which – and actually there are, are, are forms of therapy and termination advice – around this regarding at the end of therapy, it's sometimes a good idea to humanize yourself as a therapist so that the client acknowledges Mm. that you're just a human being and that 
the journey that you did together wasn't dictated by some god, but just by two human beings, and the client did all that work mainly on their own. And the therapist just facilitated. It wasn't the therapist being some kind of god, you know what I mean? Yeah, And and bestowing therapy upon the client. It was more like just two people working on something together. It's the end of The Wizard of Oz. Actually, that's a good analogy, right? So it... And... Uh, a lot of therapists will do this naturally at the end of therapy. They'll just, they'll figure out, they'll self-disclose more. They'll even say explicitly, look, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. And I think you were the one who were dri- was driving the bus here, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's other ways to humanize yourself. I'm not really right. explaining that very well, but, um, and also another thing we have to think about is the therapist has been negatively impacted by this. He, doesn't seem to yeah. uh, be altogether balanced in, in this behavior. And so that makes it not worth it uh, in my book. Right. I mean, imagine yourself, if you're a clinician out there, imagine if you had done something like this, like how difficult it would be to sleep every night, knowing that at any time one of your former clients could report you and you would be instantly humiliated uh, by the profession, you know? yeah. So, but again, I'm glad this worked out for the listener. It she again seems like a credible right. uh, uh, person, and and it's interesting that we just have to acknowledge that this by kissing by by having a romantic, you know, lustful interaction between former client and therapist that it actually was therapeutic and non harmful for right. this person. I don't want that to be used as justification for bad behavior by therapists, but I just want to acknowledge that that's what happened in this situation in contrast to all the other accounts that we've talked about on the podcast in which it actually was very harmful to the, to the, to the clients. So the folks that are maybe sex therapists that are, like new agey types that engage in sexual practices as part of their therapy, they're probably not licensed to do so then. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I mean, you know, I've seen these HBO or the, you know, real sex type episodes where there's these uh, sex therapy gurus and people go as couples or individuals and, but there is sex involved. <laughs> right. Meaning the therapist has sex with the. Yeah, like I, if I remember right, and some of them, there's at least like manual stimulation and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, I, this is an area I don't know all that much about, but I do know enough to know that, yes, some of those sex, quote unquote, sex therapists aren't licensed or educated. Yeah. But there are, there is a field called sex therapy. And I know in the past, maybe not any, I'm, I don't think anymore, but in the past, yeah, some of them did have sex with their clients and they were they were clinicians but and you know you could make an argument for that we are a super puritanical society right. and therefore really busted up around sex and if the outcome is good then why not meaning right? if there's an orgasm <laughs> yeah all right well that does it for that episode of psychology in seattle thanks for joining us please take care of yourself and you know, uh, have uh, have your sexual interludes with non non therapy, <laughs> <non-therapy>. yeah, <laughs> because you deserve it. Mm-hmm.